want to thank uh, Jill for saying you better be good today. <laughs> I had to raise this up. I'm thinking, what do we have in here, Shane and Dalton? Midgets or what? <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Lord, I pray that your kingdom come, your will be done in each of us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God Almighty, for your great salvation. Jesus, it is all about you. I ask, God, that we walk in humility, that we do the things and say the things that please you. And God, I want to thank you again for your word. I pray today that it would be magnified in our hearts and that you'd have your way. I bless each person here today in Jesus' name. We look for signs. We look for the prophetic word. We desire healings and miracles. I believe that we live in a time when people are looking for the supernatural. Sometimes they're looking in the wrong place. I believe in these signs. I've been blessed by the prophetic. I'm encouraged when I see healings and miracles. And certainly God demonstrates his love through these signs. But there is a greater sign than these and actually is the foundation for these supernatural signs. It's the sign of Jonah. I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. And as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign or a testing miracle shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh, or Nineveh, shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar, or, nor under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, in order that those who enter may see the light. The lamp of your body is your eye. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Then watch. Then watch. Then watch out that the light in you may not be darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it shall be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. There's, it's interesting that Jesus Christ made the connection between the sign of Jonah and what's really in us. And he gives a warning to watch what kind of light you have in you. So what is the sign of Jonah? 
It's the cross. It's Jesus' shed blood. It's his crucifixion, death and resurrection. Matthew 12, 40 says, For just, and this is Jesus speaking, For just as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The sign of Jonah is the proclamation of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 24, 47 says, And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Repentance doesn't save you, and it doesn't save me. It's simply a sign that we realize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's never my dedication. It's never my consecration, nor my obedience to God that saves me or makes me right with him. Because prior to all those things, Jesus Christ died. The cross is the cause, and repentance is the effect. The Message Bible says that repentance is a total life change through the forgiveness of sins. It's getting rid of those, getting rid of those dark spots that are in our hearts. And I want to say that's an ongoing process. I believe in the end times we'll see two types of behaviors. We'll see the world's love, which will grow cold because of lawlessness. But if a church is walking in true repentance and brokenness, we will have a love of God that never fails. We'll also see is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 25, Sheeps and goats. That's where he said that the sheeps and goats would be separated uh, depending upon how they treated other people. For those who visited the prisoner in prison, for those who visited the sick, for those who clothed, clothed the uh, naked, for those who feed the hungry, those are the sheep. And those are the ones that he'll say, well done, good and faithful servants. To so those who didn't do those things, he says, they go away to eternal punishment. But I think we need to look beyond those examples. I think what Jesus was getting at here is, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we treat somebody a certain way, whether good or bad, it's the same thing as treating Jesus Christ. He says in verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, he calls them brothers, even the least of them, you did it to me. I think God wants us to get a, grab, a, a grasp on this, that how we treat other people is like treating him. True repentance will demonstrate a love for God and people. If the church is walking in brokenness and repentance, we will see the love of God on the cross and we will treat people with love. I believe that the church is anemic and weak. This is something that the Lord's been dealing with me on personally for a very long time. And there are a number of reasons for that. I don't believe our prayers are as effective as we think they are. I think too many of us walk around with grudges, complaints, 
bitterness, offenses. And how are these things any different than unforgiveness? There is a disrespect in the world for authority, and that has infiltrated the church. And I believe God will have nothing to do with that. If you've been in this world long enough, there's a good possibility that you will be deep, uh, hurtly, uh, you will be hurt deeply. I have been a number of years ago, and I had to process this because um, I was a fairly new Christian, and I thought, well, when the hurt is really deep, it's really hard to get rid of. So sometimes forgiveness requires a process where we make a decision every day to forgive. And I had motivations to do that. As I was reading the Word, after Jesus explained to the disciples how to pray, he says this in Matthew 6, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you. So if you were... If you would die today with unforgiveness in your heart, could be a grudge, could be bitterness, could be offense, where does that put you and me? The other thing I thought about when I was trying to process forgiveness because of this deep hurt, I started thinking about my children. And I thought, you know, if I don't deal with this correctly... I will have a negative effect on my children. And at that time, I wasn't even thinking about my grandchildren. But it could be generational. It could, it could multiply through several generations if I didn't deal with this correctly. I have it, and prior to that, I had experienced the prophetic where people gave me words that were right on and gave me a sense of purpose. And I realized if I, if I don't deal with this, I could circumvent God's purpose for my life. I did not want that. And the other thing, you know, the world has enough troubles as it is. Why would I want to open my life to more trouble from the enemy? Proverbs 28.9 says this in the Message Bible. God has no use for the prayers of the people who won't listen to him. God has no use for the prayers of the people who won't listen to him. A couple weeks ago, my wife, Jerry, asked me a question, and the answer I gave wasn't wrong, but it was my tone, and immediately God put his finger on that. He said, what you did was wrong in terms of your tone. I could have ignored that, and I could have acted nice to her, but that wouldn't please God, and there still would be an issue here. So I apologize to her. As you grow in the Lord, God's going to call you to higher standards. What may have not have been a problem five years ago for you will be today. That's part of the maturing process. God wants us to be right with him and other people. <clears throat> you know, sometimes we do something wrong to somebody, and how we deal with it is... We try and act nice to them. doesn't cut it. God wants us to be men and women of God who will do the right thing, humble ourselves, and apologize and ask for forgiveness. 
a number of years ago when I was getting counseling for my anger, uh, it was a husband and wife counseling team. <clears throat> and she said, you know, at one time, she decided to go to each of her children and ask them if there was anything that she needed to ask their forgiveness for. And she suggested that I do that. And I did do that to my children. Of course, they said, you were a perfect dad. There was no problems. <laughs> they said there wasn't any problems. And I did that because I didn't want them to deal with an issue of their own heart. If I could be a, a, a help to them to deal with that, then I was going to do that. But you know, realizing that I'm not a perfect person, and I certainly am not a perfect dad, Many, many times as my kids were growing up, I asked for their forgiveness. So maybe that was the reason when as adults, when I asked them, they didn't say anything. Because quite often when you're growing up, I did ask for forgiveness. You know, we're not perfect, but if there is a testimony of Jesus Christ in a Christian's life, it's the understanding of his forgiveness and the need to forgive in our life. And I think my kids got that. Can you look somebody in the eye and be at peace with that person? I think that's the criteria for me. If I have an issue with somebody, what I have done in the past is I've done things like if I see them coming to try and avoid them, or maybe when they've caught me off guard and they greet me, I don't give them eye contact. If that's what we're doing, we have an issue. And God wants us to deal with that issue. I think sometimes we're very good at putting on that smile. I'm not very good at it. And I think sometimes we can tell if a person's real. You can tell if that smile's genuine or it's fake. If that's the case, we got an issue and we need to deal with it. James says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And he's talking about, yeah, we're righteous in Christ Jesus, but the, that righteousness he's talking about is are we right with God? Are we right with people? And quite frankly, that's why I don't think our prayers are that effective. It says the prayers of a righteous man are effective and can accomplish much. I'm going to read something out of Oswald Chambers. He was talking about Matthew 7, where Jesus is, is uh, talking about prayer, asking and seeking and knocking. And then he talks about if you have a child who asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone, are you? Or if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake, are you? And he says this, the illustration of prayer that our Lord used here is one of a good child who is asking for something good. We talk about prayer as if God hears us regardless of what our relationship is to him. Never say that it's not God's will to give you what you ask. Don't faint and give up, but find out the reason you have not received. Increase the intensity of your search and examine the evidence. Is your relationship right with your spouse, your children, and your fellow students? Are you a good child in those relationships? Do you have to say to the Lord, I have been irritable and I have been crossed, but I still want spiritual blessings? 
You cannot receive and will have to do without them until you have the attitude of a good child. I'm a child of God only by being born again, and as his child, I'm good only as I walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. For most of us, prayer simply becomes some trivial religious expression, a matter of mystical and emotional fellowship with God. We are all good at producing a spiritual fog that blinds our sight. But if we search out and examine the evidence, we'll see very clearly what is wrong. A friendship, an unpaid debt, or an improper attitude. There is no use praying unless we are living as children of God. Are we living as children of God? Are we reflecting the glory of God in our life? If we are, then Jesus says regarding his children, everyone who asks receives. The beatitude in, in Matthew 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do we really hunger and thirst to be right with God and with other people? Or do we rationalize our behavior? Do we think that over time the issue will get better? The satisfaction that this scripture is talking about is simply being right with God and with other people. If I'm not right with somebody, I feel it in my heart. I could lose my peace. I could be anxious. What I have found, if I'm not submitting to authority, fear comes into my life. Because I've lost that protection. An, an unwillingness to be right with people and God produces a hardness and a rationalization of self-righteousness. Well, that person hurt me. I have a right to feel this way. It produces a spiritual blindness, blindness and delusions. I've talked about delusions before. James 1.22 says... Prove the word of God and don't be merely hearers, lest you delude yourself. When God is prompting me to respond correctly or to make it right, I need to do it as soon as possible. And I need to do the hard thing about apologizing, not simply just simply be nice. That issue then is underneath if I don't deal with it, and it's going to come up again. The church really is anemic, I believe, in its prayer life because we are not very good at dealing with the issues in our heart. The effective prayers of a righteous man accomplish much. I think the church, this is hard, I think sometimes we're too much of a consumer than a contributor. And there's a slippery slope between being a contributor and a consumer. I can be a contributor for a number of years and I slide and I become a consumer. Zacchaeus was a short Jew who was a tax collector. And Jesus was walking along the path and, and because of his lack of height, he climbed a tree to see Jesus. Jesus sees him and he says this, Zacchaeus, 
Hurry and come down. Today I must stay at your house. I can only imagine when Jesus was looking up in the tree and saw Zacchaeus and what Zacchaeus saw. Zacchaeus saw Jesus' eyes. I can imagine the eyes filled with love, a smile on his face, a radiance on his face. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down, I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus, he hurries down, he comes down, and, and he receives him gladly. Do you remember when you were born again? I don't know about you, but when I was born again, I was on fire. I mean, there was something happened in my life. I realized that Jesus Christ was real. There was just a, a burning in my heart. I was listening to Christian records, and uh, what are those records now? They're not DVDs. I was listening to Christian music all the time. I was reading the Bible. My wife was pregnant at the time. She's not here today. But she actually got kind of jealous because I was not giving her as much attention as I used to. I was really on fire for the Lord. I had received Jesus Christ gladly. And when I received him gladly, there was things happening in life where I was beginning to change. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. And it says that he came to seek and save that which is lost. See, Zacchaeus was a consumer before he met Jesus. He was a consumer in the Jewish culture, church, if you will, until he met Jesus. The word says that he gladly received Jesus, and then he became a contributor. He blessed the poor and got his relationship right with other people. A contributor is one who participates in church where Christ has placed him or her, where Christ has placed you. Jesus Christ places people in the body. Different churches have different callings. Where has Christ placed each of us? And we use our gifts to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, especially as the day draws near. That's out of Hebrews. A contributor is involved in the vision of the church and involved in relationships in the church. I've been around the block a long time, and I've heard this more than once. I feel disconnected. Well, let's examine the evidence. If you feel disconnected, are you participating in the church? When you come here, and I don't know how often you come here, are you thinking, how can I use my gifts today to bless somebody? If you're not, it's legitimate to feel disconnected. Are you blessing the church financially? Joyce Meyer says, people will talk about money everywhere except church. I believe a barometer of a person's faith is in the giving or not giving financially. Because Jesus said this, you cannot serve him or mammon or riches at the same time. 
And even though Scripture is very clear about the importance of tithing, whether it's before the law, during the law, or the New Testament, and it's in all those areas, people refuse to believe it. Although Joyce Meyer says it's not necessarily that people won't believe or don't believe, it's just that they simply won't. People forget about what Malachi says. It's the only time in the Bible that I'm aware of where God says, test me. And he said, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour such a blessing upon you, you won't be able to contain it. But then he also goes on and says, I will rebuke the devourer. Like Joyce Meyer said, you know what? You can either choose to give it to the Lord or the enemy will take it. Jesus said that he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. How does that show up? Well, maybe your car breaks down. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you have health problems. Something goes wrong at the house. Now, I'm not saying that every time those things happen, that's connected to that principle, but why open yourself up to that possibility? Satan is real, and he's out to steal from you. I'd like to have the Lord rebuking the devourer in my life. By being a consumer, people miss out on being blessed and being a blessing. Acts 20.35, Jesus says this, it's more blessed to give than receive. 2 Corinthians 9 says that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but who, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Proverbs 11.25, the generous man will be blessed in generous ways. He will prosper. He who waters will himself be watered. Now here's the challenge. When I came to know the Lord, I didn't go from giving a dollar per offering to going up to tithing like that. I saw the word. I believed the word. And I took it a step at a time. I think the Lord challenged me a step at a time. So I got to the point where I should get to tithing and beyond. God wants to prove himself in that area. He's not a small God. As a matter of fact, he controls all the finances. doesn't make any difference what's happening in the world economy. Guess who really controls it? Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Last week, Pastor Bruce talked about, and I didn't know he was going to talk about it, and I had already written this down, about the sovereignty of God. He called it the Genesis 50-20 principle. This morning, I was sharing with Pastor Bruce. I was up early, and I was listening to Charles Stanley. He was talking about the sovereignty of God. You know, when those things, as Bruce says, ping around like that, God's saying something. I think he wants us to understand the importance of knowing his sovereignty. And I think we've been weak in that area. He's been dealing with me on this for a couple of years. Ecclesiastes says in 9.1, For I have taken all this to my heart and explain it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. 
I want you to note that he's talking about righteous men and wise men. He's not talking about the unrighteous. They're not in the, necessarily in the hand of God. Matter of fact, Jesus said that their father is a little different. We talked about wise men. We need to be wise about our circumstances. God orchestrates our circumstances. And if we're wise, we'll look for the hand of God in those circumstances. Was Jesus' life orchestrated by God? Absolutely. He came for one purpose. That was to die for you and me. Did evil crucify him? Yes. God uses evil and good for his purposes. Pastor Bruce talked about Joseph. Genesis 50-20 principle. I'll read it again. Joseph said this to his brothers. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God allowed his brothers to put him in the pit. God allowed his brothers to sell him to slave traders. God allowed the injustice of being accused of uh, sexually molesting, if you will, uh, Potiphar's wife. God allowed Joseph to be in jail for several years. But he had a purpose. Job and Peter. The devil was involved in both of their lives. But guess what? In both of those situations, if you read those scriptures, the devil asked God or Jesus for permission to do anything. God allows the devil to do his thing, but he's on a rope. Dark clouds aren't necessarily a bad thing. Quite often, God is very near and active in the dark clouds of our life. It says in Psalms 34, He is near to the brokenhearted. When you're brokenhearted, I'd say there's some clouds dark clouds, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So you say, if God orchestrates our circumstances, then where's the freedom of the will? The freedom of the will is in response to the circumstances. We can respond in a godly way or an ungodly way. God tests our hearts in trying circumstances. That's where the growth occurs. In this church, we had disagreements on whether or not we should have pews or chairs. I don't think it's the main issue. I believe that God allowed this to come about as a test. Did I respond to those who disagreed with me in a godly way or an ungodly way? God is always after the heart. He's always after the heart. And there are issues in our heart that we don't even realize are there. I don't care how long a person's been a Christian. He will use tests to purify us. If I have an offense with somebody, and God uses that person to make change in around me, I'm not going to believe the best in that person because I have an offense. I'm not going to see things clearly. And because of that, an issue is going to come up that I'm going to see, i got a problem. Well, God uses tests 
to get at issues in our heart. He used tests to purify our hearts. I used to be a debater. I used to really love making a point. I found out that quite often I made a point and didn't make any difference. I don't do that anymore. Somebody knocks on my door and says that there's already 144,000 in heaven, but I can be on the next earth. I'm not arguing. If somebody comes to me with an honest heart and transparency and says, i got a problem. Steve, you think I'm doing the right thing. I'll tell him the truth because I realize this person's heart is ready for change. But otherwise, I'm not going to give a point necessarily because I can't change somebody's heart. What I want to do is make a difference. And that's simply being right with God and being right with other people. It's kind of funny to watch the conservatives and the liberals, the Democrats and Republicans. Is anybody making a difference? I don't think anybody's changed anybody's mind or heart. And why get so riled in church? Didn't Jesus say that he would build his church and the gates of hell uh, won't prevail against it? Listen, if the gates of hell won't prevail against it, why be concerned about any man? Let Jesus build his church. Our responsibility is to be right with one another. People say, well, I can't see Jesus. I can't see him in the circumstances of my life. Matthew 5a says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When? Let's use Balaam, the prophet, to get the point across. Balaam was a prophet who was asked by the king of Moab to go and curse the Israelites. And Balaam says, I can only say what God tells me to say. But, but the king of Moab kept on upping the ante of riches. And there was an issue in Balaam's heart that made him do something that God was not pleased with. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Holy smokes. Having God as your adversary. I'm sure glad that's an Old Testament concept. Not. James and 1 Peter says this. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's probably times in my life where I believe God was opposing me because of pride. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way, and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. You know, God, when he prompts us, when he convicts us, he'll sometimes give us a wide plateau where he will allow us to get around him. The angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. 
when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Now life can start to uh, come in on you. There can be some negative things that are very serious in your life that are allowed into your life to get your attention. So you receive a little pain in your life. And of course, then you dish it out too, just like Balaam did. Balaam struck the donkey. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with his stick. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. You know, being a person who, who uh, was very good at anger, of course, my response was, you know, if you hadn't done this to me, I wouldn't have been provoked. That's biblical, isn't it? That, that lines up with the love chapter in Corinthians. And that's what we do a lot of times. We blame other people for the issues in our heart. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey in which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And Balaam said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. Uh, Balaam finally humbled himself. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Just like Balaam. A lot of times we have issues in our life. And when circumstances occur, we don't take the step back and say, Lord, what are you doing? And even if we tried, we probably wouldn't see his activity because of sin in our life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That isn't when you get to heaven. It's now. Blessed are the pure in heart. You can see God in the activities of your life now. Now, sometimes he wants you to trust him, and you can't see what he's doing, but there's a reason for that. But quite often, he wants you to see what he's doing in your life. <clears throat> when I came to know the Lord, in retrospect, I can see circumstances closing in on my life. And finally, God put me in a corner. I felt he literally put me in a corner where I could decide death or him. And of course, I was chicken. I didn't like death. So I chose him. But God put me on a path where I finally became face-to-face -face with him. The same with my anger issue. Life started to come in on me. Circumstances got really bad until I finally said, you know what, I need some godly help. I need God to help me using these counselors. And that's the way life is. If he doesn't get your attention the first time, 
Remember the donkey went around him? He'd give you a little bit of a plateau, but then it's become more restrictive, and the pain's going to be sharper until he gets your attention. So you can make a decision. You still have a free will. What will your choice be? And like Balaam, we can't see God's hand or activity in our circumstances because we don't have a pure heart. So why do good things continue to happen? Because of God's mercy. It's His loving kindness that leads us to repentance. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards all men. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, the sign of Jonah is the greatest sign to you and me that we can have. Where I can see at the cross the forgiveness of sins. And I think in the church, we've taken our eyes off the cross. When I came to know the Lord, I was excited. I've been a bad boy. And Jesus Christ was forgiving my sins. He was giving me a fresh start. And the longer you're a Christian, I think a lot, a lot of times we start taking the cross for granted. We need to keep our eyes on the cross. We need to understand the need for repentance. I want to be who God wants me to be because of what he's done for me. I see his love and I see his mercy. And I'm beginning to see more and more the fear of God. What I'm sharing today is something that I've been processing for some time. The last thing I want to see for you and me is being at the judgment seat. There is a judgment seat. And God wiping away more tears than he had to because we didn't deal with the issues of our heart that he was pointing out to now. And we need to think not only of ourselves, but if we don't get this right, we can affect other people and even generations. There is the fear of God. There is a day where I'm going to be before Jesus and there will be no rationalizing. There will be no excuses. When we look at the cross, we need to see the forgiveness of sins, his love, mercy, but uh, there's a fear of God there too. This is a serious matter that the God of the universe sent his son, Jesus Christ. This is no small matter to die for you and me. Christ is coming back. And he's coming back for a blameless, spotless bride. You know, it's not that we're not going to sin. We will. But what I have learned is to deal with it ASAP. You got an issue? You need to deal with it today. There's too many things at stake if we don't. But he's coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back for a bride full of light and no dark spots. See, when Jesus talked about the sign of Jonah, he said, watch out that the light in you is not darkness and that there are no dark 
spots or places in your heart. Because he's coming back for a bride that's fully illumined. Proverbs 1.23 says, Turn to my reproof. When God puts his finger on something, turn to it immediately. He says, Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. We've been looking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says, If you turn to my reproof, I will pour out my Spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. I.e., He'll make known to you what He's doing. Jesus in John 14, verse 21 says that He who is my commandments and keeps them is He who loves me. And He who loves me should be loved by my Father and I will love Him and I will manifest or show myself to Him. When we keep His commandments, that's a sign of our love for Him. And we ought to be loving Him for what He's done for us. When we do that, he says, I will show you who I am in your circumstances. I'll open up your eyes to get beyond the obvious to the spiritual part of what's going on in any circumstance. Christ needs, and we'll have a church walking in repentance to proclaim the sign of Jonah to a lost world. How can we talk about the forgiveness of sins and repentance to a lost world if we're not dealing with it in our lives? We've talked about it here. God loves all people, but he doesn't trust all people. But if we can get this right, he's going to pour out his spirit as he's promised. We're looking for it. It's an individual choice that we can proclaim the sign of Jonah to a lost world and wicked, and dying world. A church where God pours out His Spirit on us and through us to make His Word known. If we got something dark in our heart, the Word is going to get blocked. It won't have the anointing and the pleasure of the Lord. To make known to a lost world His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ, to make Him known. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, there is the only one God. His name is Jesus. And we have a choice in our circumstances to repent or not. ASAP. Or to rationalize it. To think that time will take care of it. It will not. And we won't have the blessing and the anointing of the Lord. We can repent now or deal with it at the judgment seat. I pray. I'm, t- I'm trying to take this very, very seriously. I've been dwelling in it a long time. I'm praying that God would show us the fear of the Lord, the reverence that he truly deserves, and to think eternally, not only of the rewards and the blessings of being with him forever, but that, that period where we come, we, we go from this life to the next, and we're before that cross, before the judgment seat, and Jesus starts reviewing our life. And the tears that we have are because of regrets of not dealing with it now. I believe God wants to use this body in ways that we've not seen before. There is an Elijah spirit that's coming. The spirit of Elijah is the the spirit that prepares the way of the Lord. It proclaims repentance for the forgiveness of sins before Jesus Christ comes back. And that spirit will be poured upon people who turn to his reproof. And you'll see signs. You'll see miracles. 
we, we talked about praying for families. And Jim Nedru has been really talking about this lately out of Malachi. Well, he's going to send the spirit of Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the hearts of children to fathers. That's the Lord. That's his desire. But he's going to look for a church that is walking in repentance. It's a choice that each of us will have. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord God, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do it. We need you. God, I pray that you reveal more deeply what the cross is in our own lives, in the lives of our family, the lives of the lost. Help us to continually walk in repentance. Lord, many of us need to be refreshed because we haven't been, but you've promised that if we walk in repentance, that you'll wipe away our sins and you'll bring a refreshing Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus as people step out on faith and make that commitment to walk in repentance that you will bless them mightily, that you'll pour your spirit upon them in ways that they've never seen before, and that Jesus Christ would be glorified, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only true God. Father, let your spirit burn in this place. Pour out your spirit, I pray, as we change, as we repent from our sins and turn to you because of the cross. Let your blessings be upon these people, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will have many people here, Lord God, that you can trust and pour your spirit upon. Bless them in their lives. Bless them in their families. And I pray, God Almighty, that the sign of Jonah will go forth and touch many, many people through our lives in this region. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you.